This is episode 126 of The Real Build. I'm Bill Ryman, your broker builder, and I have a great episode, a huge episode in store for you on this one. I'm talking about one of the biggest topics in the construction industry at the moment, and that is lumber. I brought on guest Arnie Dedeer. He's the COO and principal founder of the Forest Business Network. And we talk about everything you need to know about lumber, the lumber industry, what's going on in our forest, what you need to look for, uh, what lumber costs are going to be at, average costs added to a home when building because of lumber pricing, politics and wood taxation that's over and oversight happening within the lumber industry, tariffs that we're dealing with tariffs right now with Canada. Will the supply chain continue to see shortages and also new innovative techniques and strategies coming to the lumber industry as well and so much more? Guys, you do not want to miss this episode. Also, you know the routine. Like, share, comment. Please share this with your friends and family. Five-star review this on iTunes. Also, leave me a real quick comment on there as well. I appreciate you all tuning in each and every week. I'm going to keep giving you as much value and bringing on as many great guests as possible. With that being said, enjoy this episode. Here's your intro. Welcome to The Real Build, the show that shows you exactly what you need to look for in construction and real estate. I am your host, Bill Ryman, your broker builder, and each week I will teach you exactly what you need to look for, whether you are buying, building, or selling a house. I interview top people throughout real estate and construction, give you a better perspective prior to making one of the biggest investments of your life. I will also discuss my personal experiences as a luxury builder and real estate broker and answer your questions about the process. With that being said, welcome to The Real Build. Arnie Dedeer, welcome to The Real Build. I'm glad to have you on today. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks, Bill. Good to to meet you kind of virtually, as they say. <laughs> yeah, great to meet you virtually, too. I was excited to have you on because we are going to cover a huge topic within the construction world, and you are the man when it comes to this topic. You know it more than anybody, so excited to have you on today. Before we get into things, let's uh, talk about your background a little bit. So who is Arnie Dedeer? Sure. So... Um... I live in Missoula, Montana. Um, my wife and I have been married 30 years and I have two daughters. They both live in Colorado. We spent 11 years in Colorado as well. But I grew up in a farm in northern Illinois and in the construction business. So okay. we were in the construction business. My dad owned a trucking company in the garbage business as well. So kind of my roots are there. <clears throat> and then I went when I went to college, I went to actually play baseball in Southern Illinois University, but my um, uh, my undergraduate degree is in forest resource management with a Woodside specialization. And then I got a communications degree and that kind of started my path in the construction industry. I've never been a forester per se, but I have a background in that. But I went to work out of um, college for Georgia Pacific and soon found myself in the uh, in the commodity lumber business, um, which is kind of appropriate in your business and what your listeners hear. But um, so I worked for Georgia Pacific 
they owned sawmills, but I worked in the divi- the distribution division, so in the building products division, and then that led to a variety of different places. But um, it ended up with uh, in nineteen, I guess I'm dating myself, nineteen eighty nine. I started the engineered lumber program for Georgia Pacific, mm-hmm. which is kind of near and dear to your heart because it was started in Ocala, Florida. We bought a, a, an iJoyce plant. And um, so I've been involved in engineered lumber for a long time. And then it's gradually shifted through my career. And I have some experience in coatings and log homes. But, um, uh, you know, so my background, I guess I would say, has been in the construction building products world, mostly on the sales side and procurement side of those products. Well, I got to give you a shout out first. I'm, I too am from Illinois originally. So uh, <laughs> got a connection with you there. But um, I mean, what you're, what you're doing is very, very important, obviously in the world today, and especially with the lumber, uh, every, the lumber issues we're dealing with on the construction side as well. Um, even getting tr- roof trusses, floor joists, stuff like that has been, you know, just the drawings has been a nightmare for me because a lot of these guys are so backed up, but um, definitely excited uh, to talk about it because you have that background and very qualified in that field as well. L- let's discuss this a little bit. Obviously, you know, you cho- what what made you choose to go and let's go into this more what made you choose to go into the forest products industry uh in mass timber construction what was the reasoning behind it well it's kind of hands-on so you know and i'm like i said i grew up on a farm in the trucking and construction business so i wanted something hands-on realized late um, in college, they, t- that my direction was, you know, being around people with people doing kind of business stuff, selling, everything starts with selling something. And then that just kind of became a passion. But since I had the background in, in the forest and, you know, the kind of conservation ethic, um, it just felt right to me. And, uh, you know, it's been 35 plus years in that, in that business, it's been a good business for me to be in, it's provided for my family in a variety of different ways. But, you know, they always say it, you know, be a little bit passionate about what you're doing, not just to try to earn a buck. You know, we're all trying to make a living and take care of our families, but it starts with doing something that you enjoy. And the building products industry is very, very unique. Most people don't know the background with lumber, but it's a very personable business. It's a very honorable business. Um, You know, most people probably wouldn't know that um, lumber is traded as a commodity every day. Prices change minute to minute. You have ability to hedge on the futures board, those kind of things. Um, But the other background with that is our business always starts with the forest and forest health. And, you know, for many years, we could see in the industry that, you know, we're kind of at the ultimate green product, right? You know, we're a renewable resource um, if done properly. There's all these bad things done on all sides, whether it's wanting to cut down every tree for a buck or wanting to save every tree and think that's good. Um, and there's a balance in between. 
But the reality is, is that's what ended up leading us in our business to the mass timber industry, which is really in the forefront of many today. Yeah, and let's touch on that a little bit because you have both sides and, and within the lumber industry, you have, you know, the side that let's grow more trees. You have the side that let's cut down every tree there is and make more money. Then you have the government's hand on, on things quite a bit as well. How, how are you dealing with this? How within your industry and what you're doing, how are you dealing with this to where, I mean, that's gotta be hard to deal with all these different directions. Obviously with the government, you kind of have no choice of what's going on. Uh, I know we'll talk about Canada and tariffs here upcoming as well in our lumber supply coming from them. How, how are you dealing with this? How can we get past this, um, the issues that we face so that, you know, we have smooth transition, uh, you know, as far as flow of building materials, because the demand is so huge right now. So I get it. I get the demand is big and then it's harder to get the lumber because we've had COVID people out of work and so on, but how can we make this better in the future? Well, it's a good question. And I don't claim to be an expert, but I surround myself and that, you know, we host a conference, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but we have people from all parts of that supply chain. But I'll just kind of take you back a little bit. Um, you know, it sounds like your audience may really be interested in pricing and availability. And it's an interesting dynamic because mm -hmm. it's a little bit of the perfect storm for a lot of things. But if you're um, if you're a builder and you want to buy um, a toilet today, mm -hmm. um, that toilet and I'll just paraphrase, might have cost you two years ago, three years ago, a hundred bucks. And today it's costing you 300 bucks. And you got to wait three months where you used to be able to get it in two days. People forget about that. Yeah. Or you want to put in granite countertops. And a granite countertop, you know, three, four years ago was, you know, in, you know, people wanted granite countertops. And that raise the price of a home 20, 30, 40, $50,000. But you forget about that because it's a feature. But your core products that build homes, you know, you can look at it in a variety of sources, maybe with the lumber price increases as of late, it may add 20, 30, $40,000 onto your home. But if you spent that same money on granite countertops, you wouldn't even blink twice. And here's an antidote that people don't think about. In 1970, and I'm just going to estimate, a two-by-four stud for your wall cost you $3. In 2018, a two-by-four stud cost you $3. So I want anybody to think about products. If you bought a Cadillac in 1970, it cost you $5,000. Today, it costs you $120,000. So I'm not making excuses for anything. But the reality is, is lumber has not really increased. The only way you could stay profitable in the lumber industry was to get more and more efficient. And we've done a lot of that. And I remember sawmillers telling me the way we stay in business is we sell the sawdust and the chips to keep us going. Um, it's not a perfect dynamic, but when you look at it in that perspective, it's interesting. And like I said, I haven't traded lumber for 20 years, right? Mm -hmm. But I stay close to it. But you look at prices, 
historic average on a composite between four and $500. And that peaked at 15 to $1,700. It had never gone past 750. We're talking uncharted territory in the last couple of years. It went back down Mm -hmm. to $500. It's back up to about halfway, roughly $1,000. So, you know, there's a big fluctuation there and it's pretty dramatic and it's pretty interesting to see. And it does affect lots of different things. $30,000 is nothing to sneeze at. But if you owned a a 10 building lots in Florida 10 years ago that you paid $20,000 a piece for, and they're worth $100,000 a piece now, Mm -hmm. would you sell them for 20 because you, you feel bad? Or would you sell them for 40 because you feel bad? No, you sell them at what the market will bear today. There's good and bad to anything that's a commodity or up and down prices. But the story's a little different than you might think about. Doesn't solve all the problems. And is there greediness out there? No question, there's greediness on lots of different things. Yeah, and that's down the whole entire line too, as far as the greed and and a lot of people's focus is on lumber because you hear about it more um, than let's say a piece of drywall, you know, but yet my drywall, I just got to increase on my drywall 30%. So it's, it is what the market will bear. I, I agree with you 100% on that. And I'm actually going to use what you said as far as the Cadillac comparison there too, to the, to explain that because that's actually really good of you know what's going on with lumber. And the market will bear what it can bear up to a certain point. You know, we all know markets go up and then they stabilize and then eventually they may go down. I don't think we're going to have this craziness and cost increases. We saw it in 2005 and so on as well. But, um, you know, is lumber's just been interesting because it did shoot way high, then it did drop down way down low again. And now it's kind of at that almost middle ground, I want to say, of where it was in between. Do you think it's going to stabilize there? Do you see it in the future going down again, back down to that 500 range? What are your predictions on it? You know, it's not really a game that I'm in. And when I say game, it's not a game for a lot of people. But let me give you a kind of anecdotal thought process. When COVID hit two years ago, people thought it was going to come to a standstill, right? So, you know, your historic average is about 1.2 million housing starts, Mm -hmm. right? On a historic average. When 2008 and 2009 hit, who would have ever thought we'd go down to 400,000 to 500,000 starts? But who would ever think now, realistically, it depends on if you look at like Ivy Zellman or some of these other folks. Um, Ivy, I just happen to know because she was a keynote speaker this year at our conference. But when you look at the demand needs for individual housing, it's probably one four, one five, maybe even one six. Well, that puts your demand at a couple hundred thousand units above the historic average. The thing that happened in COVID that took everybody off guard is do it yourself. Mm. So when COVID hit, everybody was trapped at home. And what did they want to do? They wanted to build a deck. They wanted to build a... um, Uh, do a remodel on their home. They wanted to expand the place so they could work out of their home. It grew 
demand like overnight in the DIY market. The, if you look at the numbers for Lowe's, Home Depot, the big players out there, Menards, their increase in demand didn't go up 10, 15, 20%. It went up 100, 150%. So you had lumber mills like everybody else that were affected by COVID-induced limited availability of labor force at the same time. So you're restricting production and everything in the chain was affected. Truckers, loggers, foresters, um, you know, uh, projections, all of those kind of things were affected. At the same time, you had huge demand on the do-it-yourself. Then you had the double whammy. Construction, Mm -hmm. residential building boomed. Everybody thought multifamily was going to puke. It boomed. Mm -hmm. You had kind of a perfect storm. And is that storm going to continue forever? No way. We all know it. We've been through it. If you've been through it long enough, in a sense, you're, you're at a strange time in the marketplace where I think what is going to happen is you're going to have volatility continue, whether that's in the commodity lumber market, in the labor market, in the um, just the raw material land market, but all parts of building products, not sight unseen. But you think of vehicles, right? That Cadillac analogy. I mean, I have a friend that owns a construction company, just bought three Chevy pickups and he paid $250,000 for three pickups and he was happy to get them. So it's a strange market place. It's different than it ever has been from my perspective. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, going even with the car analogy too, you can't get cars and then even used cars are as, ex- as expensive as new cars were about two years ago. So it's just, it eventually it'll go back to what it was, but there's increased demand. And then as long as there's more people staying out of work and so on as well. And I mean, a lot of people I deal with understand that a lot of customers are very informed prior to building. And and I do a very good job at setting that expectation kind of up front before we build, you know, because the process isn't what it was before. It's not as quick as it was before. Just getting a house out of the ground takes a lot longer than it did before because a lot of people are backed up. There's just a lot of different variables now that goes into an actual build too. So you brushed on this on a different note, you brushed on this a little bit. Let's talk about, uh, which is a huge thing that you're doing is the forest business network. Um, and then you have a mass timber report. What are those? Uh, I started looking into those obviously while I was, uh, looking into yourself and, and it's very interesting. And I think builders should be involved in this just so they can see, cause lumber is obviously a, one of the main products we use. So just explain that. Yeah. So, you know, Forest Business Co- uh, Network, Forest Business Network is the company that I own with, um, two business partners. Craig Rawlings is our CEO, and then um, Tom Waddell. So Craig is based in Missoula with me. We started the company. Tom joined shortly after we started it. It's been in business for 13 or 14 years. And Craig Rawlings is a unique individual. He's um, 
He's 71 years old. His family's been involved in building most of the sawmills across the United States. Um, he's got sawdust in his blood, not unlike myself. Um, he's an incredibly talented person, but he is probably, it's strange to say this because it seems out of character for our industry, but he's become a very big influencer. And he's an influencer because of a couple of things. Forest Business Network, we have a newsletter that goes out. It's a free newsletter. It's in the forest industry. It's been in existence for about 20 years. Um, Craig, you know, you see his picture every week and he does a little editorial piece. And then we um, post information, the most current information. So we're a facilitator of information in that newsletter. And it's grown. It's between seven and 10,000, um, you know, kind of subscribers that it goes out each week. The unique thing about our newsletter is a really successful newsletter. You get about 2% readership. Ours is 20 to 30 times that each week. And the reason is because they believe and trust in what Craig has to say. And so he gives a little blurb on what's going on and you can find a lot of information. It's gravitated a bit. And then we have in a sense become a media company because we had the newsletter and then we hosted um, our expertise is in utilization of small diameter timber. So there's a tremendous amount of available timber out there more today than there was a hundred years ago. Most people don't realize that, mm -hmm. but a lot of it's small too. And for a lot of different reasons, you want to take the small diameter timber and use that for products that you can get back to your investment when you go out to cut that out. And it does a lot of things It all starts with forest health, you know, thinning forest, managing forest properly, all of those things that make a healthier forest, which produce opportunities to hike and fish and hunt and clean water and those things. But the reality becomes in is it starts with that timber base. So we get involved in the Pellet Fuels Institute. We get involved with biomass and how you can utilize um, the pieces and parts to create energy. But one of the other things that's been a dynamic change is this mass timber, which encompasses engineered lumber products. So if you think about that, it's not new. You know, glue lambs have been around for 100 years plus. Um, you hear the name CLT or cross-laminated timber. That's a newer product, but it's not new. It's been around for 35, 40 years. It's been heavily used in Europe, more in, in um, Canada and other areas. But it really started to take hold in the the U.S. in the you know early you know 2014 2015 started to take real momentum. But what that generally is, if you think about it, mass timber and engineered lumber go hand in hand. So you can utilize smaller pieces of wood. So two by four, two by six, two by eight pieces of wood to produce and engineer products that have the ability to become very strong, yeah. very user-friendly. It's not uh, uncommon to use regular building product tools to put those products up on a job site. 
But if you think about it, it's becoming a product that is produced in a factory and then brought to the job site. And depending on the job, that can become a very planned out, very detailed way to produce structures, not only residential units or multifamily units, but you're seeing it gravitate even towards large, tall structures. Hmm. You, you see buildings being built out of wood that are two to eight stories. And now you're starting to see the advent of taller buildings. Um, one that's kind of become a marquee building here because it's so new and so extraordinary is the Ascent Building. Tim Goatman and his company, that product and that building is being built in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's just being capped out now. It's 25 stories. Oh. And, you know, the top of the entire structure is wood. So why does that happen? And what does that mean for the construction industry? What it means is um, that kind of footprint of lumber and building products made of wood has a really positive impact depending on what you do with it. But to be able to, in a sense, use mass timber products, maybe CLT, maybe glue lamps, maybe other products, and produce a really beautiful building that has a really positive sustainability story to it, um, it's a pretty powerful combination. The Ascent is just one building. That happens to be a very marquee, huge building, beautifully done. But there's hundreds of buildings being built now using mass timber products and lumber products. But here's the deal. Mass timber itself really takes a very, very small amount of the fiber being used. The majority of the fiber being used is, in your world, trusses, walls, mm -hmm. floors, plywood, OSB board, those kind of products. That's where the majority of the use of, of fiber is going. It is growing in mass timber, but relatively it's a small compared to the other products out there. I I always find this like very interesting, especially what you said with mass timber and everything. Let's go into that even more is, you know, advances, basically innovative technology that they're using throughout the, you know, through the lumber industry. What are they doing to, you know, help innovate and help build better and help build faster? What are some things you're seeing? And then I'll kind of go into too. I mean, down here, we're in kind of a different world of building, obviously with being close to the ocean, you deal with salt air, so on. Uh, very rainy uh, during the summers here, very tropical environment. You know, there's not as much sources of wood to use. Obviously, I, I just did a video on this that I was going to launch today about stucco and doing stucco siding versus wood panel siding or hardy board or whatever most they use up north. Um, we're just having to find different things to help construction stay more secure down here, especially with hurricanes and so on as well. 
So what are, let's go start out with what are some innovative things you're seeing in the lumber industry? You brushed on obviously one right there, but let's go deeper into that a little bit. Yeah, maybe I'll start it a little different way. Um, so if I was talking to your audience and people looked at me, they'd say, oh, there's a lumber, a lumber guy. He's going to, he's going to promote why lumber is great. And he's going to, you know, tell stories on why it's okay to spend three times as much for your lumber package. That's just him. And that's not uncommon. So that's what's been going on for 40 years. Our industry yeah. talked to themselves and told us how great we are to ourselves. And then people look at it and go, well, that's bullshit. That's where they make their money, right? Um, and I get that part. But the biggest change in mass timber, which affects the wood industry, has been technology. Mm -hmm. And the technology comes in a weird way. So at our conference, the International Mass Timber Conference, which is held in Portland each year, we started that in 2016. And people from Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, um, Google, all came to the conference, but they wouldn't even put their, their name on their badge, their company name. They did not want, to, want them to know who they were from and they, cause they wanted to investigate. They wanted to see what's, what's real and what's not real. Cause they have a lot to defend if they are choosing bad products. Right? So most people don't realize that most of those big technology companies leased all their buildings. That's changed dramatically in the last two to three years, not 20 years, two to three years. They're building their own buildings now because they want their buildings to meet the sustain sustainability expectations and demands that they think makes sense. So the biggest game changer came in 2018 when a lady by the name of Michelle Kaufman, who works for Google, she's brilliant, very gregarious lady came up and told the story that, hey, we're Google, we're going to start building buildings, and we've discovered that wood makes a lot of sense for us, mass timber in particular. And they've gone on to build multiple buildings and are building multiple more buildings out of wood. You know, Microsoft Sustainability Director Katie Ross was on our uh our fireside chat this year, she talked about they're building 14 new buildings right now, all in mass timber. Oh. Amazon, the same. Facebook, the same. So what that told us was, here's somebody from outside our choir that could tell the story. It's a sustainable product. It's uh, fire resistant. It has some really good things around earthquakes. You can use products to enhance it, to make it protected by the elements. But it's also lighter, stronger, faster in a lot of ways to build with it because it's changing the dynamic of the prefabrication, the modularization of buildings, which is going to be the next big step in our industry. Everybody sees it and feels it, but it's really happening Today, you're seeing more and more of that. But the short story on that is there's a really good carbon story around lumber. 
There's a really good story around sustainability and forest health and, and when you manage forests properly. But one of the things that we always do is, and it's to the chagrin of some people, why would you have the Nature Conservancy or Sierra Club at a lumber, quote unquote, construction conference? Well, the reason is, is you need diverse opinions to be able to have a reasonable debate on how you should handle things. But there was a guy, he's no longer with them, but he's a brilliant person. He was the head of forestry for the Nature Conservancy. His name's Mark Wishney. And he was on stage with um, Michelle Kaufman and, and the folks from Sidewalk Labs. And um, we had, uh, which I'll, ch- I'll touch on, uh, the head of Adidas, which is strange. But Mark Wishney says, hey, I'm with the Nature Conservancy. And we're not, we like cutting down some trees. And we're good with wood products. Who would have ever thought that they would hear that, right? But what he said was, if you cut down all those trees and make parking lots out of them, that's bullshit. We don't want any part of that. If you're cutting down trees and you have a sustainable plan around growing back trees and it makes sense on the way you're acting in the woods and replanting and managing that timber, that makes a lot of sense to us. And then you get the ultimate double dip with carbon. You hear a lot about carbon. It's hard to get a feel for that. But if you think about it, you cut a tree down and you put it in a building. You're you're capturing that carbon in the building. Then you're replanting the trees and growing new trees. It's a really double dip for the carbon sequestration, the carbon potential. If you cut all those tree down, trees down and burn them and burn all the slash and do all that, probably not a good idea. Um, and definitely not a good idea. And we, you know, that proper force, there's different ways to look at that. But as a general sen- sense of that is, it's pretty common sense. You hear more from the fringes, one side or the other. But the reality is where you need to hear and think more of is listen to the science, listen to the professionals, and then there is differences of opinions on how things should be handled, and the environment creates different things on how that should be handled. But I think what you find is most lumber people are really passionate about making good choices around forest health. Yeah, and that goes into my next thing, too, is maintaining the forest, keeping quality forest health as well. Obviously, you know, the media makes it seem like that the forests are just burning away and, you know, it, you see all kinds of drama on the TV. That's why I choose not to even turn on the news anymore. But um, that's a whole other story. But it's how do you how are we maintaining the forest out to make sure that we have plenty of lumber is there plenty of lumber out there let's go to that question too you know because there's you know people don't really know they don't really know where to look they don't they just watch the commodities they see that and then they also hear covid this that's a lack of supply of this that grocery shelves are a little bit lower in certain areas as well and it's it's almost doom and gloom all the time uh you know, what, what are, what are we seeing with forest health and maintenance and maintaining our, do we have plenty of wood resources? Cause I know there was, 
And one of my questions to you too was kind of the reliability on Canada. Um, and I know there was, there was a stat like 85% of our engineered wood products were coming from over the border uh, of Canada. Uh, but obviously with tariffs and so on too, that's kind of causing a lot of issue there. So let's dive deep into that, starting with like maintaining of the forest and the forest health, because you brushed on that a little bit. Well, it's a big topic and certainly yeah, no huge. expert at it. And what I would do is I would, you know, people need to research and, and, and look, you know, there's, there's companies out there, SFI, Sustainable Forest Initiative, um, FSC, um, you, you see that label, um, you see some of that. The, the Forest Service is a manager of, you know, the, 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 the largest forest lands in the United States. You know, I would challenge you to go do the research and see what they're doing from their perspective. And then also blend in some thoughts from the Nature Conservancy or uh, World Wildlife Fund, uh, Sierra Club, and kind of look at that. But what the, the marketplace tells you is catastrophic fire is really spooky. And catastrophic fire comes typically from... Uh, unmanaged forests, in a sense, you, there's no denying science that climates have changed dramatically. Drought conditions create that. Um, you know, some fire is really good for the forest. Some species really need fire to help the forest. Um, catastrophic fire can be different than that, where it's burning up and really almost sterilizing, in a sense, the soil at times. Um, but I would just challenge people to really look. There is more fiber today than there has been. Um, that's not to say it's always readily available. It is a dilemma depending on where you're at. The forest in the southeast are a lot different than the forest in the northeast or the northwest or the southwest or Canada for that matter. You mentioned Canada. And, um, you know, you talked a little bit about the tariffs and things like that. Something that maybe your listeners don't know, um, you know, the Canadians have made incredible investments in the Southeast in the last 15 years. So the big, large lumber companies based in Canada, most of them own multiple peat production mills, and in some cases, timber in the Southeast United States. It's a big change. You have Europeans in that same space, especially in the Southeast, coming in and owning um, lumber mills and, and forested acres. So it's a, it's a big dynamic. The tariff, it's kind of hard to go that path because it's a really difficult kind of nuance but you've got the lumber tariff, which was designed to protect both sides of the border. And they have a difference of opinion um, on how that's managed and what the available timber is. You've seen that in the metal industry, you know, the steel industry. That's a big topic and where that tariff goes and where that is not unlike lumber. Does it have an effect on the lumber price? It does and can both ways, but it's interesting to see that the in North America, the shift of ownership of 
actual lumber mills and in many cases, actual lumber ground, you know, forested ground has changed ownership a lot over the last 25 years, particularly the last 10 years. We see more of that happening. And, you know, some of the bigger companies are getting bigger and buying some of the smaller ones, whether that's good or bad. I don't think so. But the the the, the reality behind that is it's going to take proper management of those forests to keep creating new sustainable building products. And they that's in their radar. And then quite honestly, companies like Facebook, Microsoft, Google, they're gonna demand that proof of taking care of your forest, which is a really good thing. It's to hold people accountable for what they're doing out there. Not unlike what we do in concrete, steel, or other products. Let's hold all of ourselves accountable We've got a, a big thing hanging out there and it's it's our responsibility to to manage it properly. Yeah, I, I like that too. And and I had no idea that those those big uh, companies were getting involved, which when they get involved too, obviously they're gonna want things done a certain way and done right as well. So keeping the maintenance up for us and keeping lumber at a consistent pace and price is probably a top priority as well. To um, the one thing you said too at your conference, having difference of opinions, you know, at the table, kind of discussing how to maintain uh, the forest and so on is huge too. I'm a big believer in that because when you have everybody with the same opinion at the same table, nothing gets done. So, you know, and I think that's part of the problem with the world today in general too. Difference of opinion is a good thing as well um, in life in general. But, um, you know, last question too. So do you think supply will improve? Um, when, in your opinion, obviously, I know a lot of this, you, it's just kind of an assessment. Um, do you think we'll continue to see any type of shortages in the lumber industry? Or do you think things will start to get better as we move forward? So <clears throat> it's tough to give that answer. Because yeah. it's, you know, there's so many dynamics there. Mm-hmm. But you're seeing several sawmills being built today. And those sawmills are becoming more and more efficient. Okay. And they can produce more materials um, with less manpower. Manpower, So I think that's going to be a dynamic. So I think supply is going to come into a balance, just like construction is going to shake out and come into a balance. But I also think for a lot of your folks that are listening, one of the biggest changes is going to be modular construction and prefab construction. You're you're going to see more and more of that. You've always seen, you know, wall panels or trusses being made, but it's it's a system that makes that efficient. And, you know, one of the analogies that you hear out there is, would you buy a BMW that's built in your driveway or do you want to buy that BMW that's built in a factory? So there's some there's some reasonable expectations around there. You still need great carpenters. You still need great tradesmen. Trades are, you know. Mm-hmm. my lifeblood for my family and you need those things but it's changing not unlike a sawmill changing not unlike a factory building a, you know a new ford ev truck you know i mean there's there's differences that have changed dynamically but i think as kind of a 
a thought process for your listeners too is, yeah, prices are going to kind of go up and down. It's a commodity. You're going to see that. Availability is going to go up and down. Having relationships with the proper, you know, lumber supply companies and looking at it a little bit different, um, I think makes sense. Um, you, you, the demands of the labor forces are changing and, uh, um, you know, looking and utilizing some new technology is uh, is really important for all the people in the construction industry and in the, in the um, you know, real estate business. It just looks a lot different. And we're in kind of a dynamic time that doesn't look to end here in the next couple of weeks or a couple of months or a couple of years. And one of the things you touched on is, you know, forest health as well is changing. There's been a lot of thought process put into it. And the new administration is putting a lot of money into um, managing the forest and doing some things that are needed. There's a backlog of, of doing some of those things, but it takes everybody at the table to, to work through those things. But it's really important to start with the forest and then you get these big, beautiful buildings that are pretty dramatic that that have a really good story to them. Yeah, it's it's going to take, like you just said, it's going to take a lot of different people, a lot of different minds to keep everything. Because everything, th- times change, things change, technology changes, building the way we build changes as well. We're always innovating uh, every company all the way down the chain, down the line. It's just... And it's very interesting having you on today and hearing this because it's a it's a different perspective of what I have on the outside as well of what you know in in my customers here is going on as well. So I was yeah very excited to have you on today because you cleared up a lot of stuff and definitely going to help me in the future here as far as explaining where things are at with costs because I do that on a daily basis in my position so. Of course. Um, I always like to kind of wrap up the show here uh, with some personal questions about you just to switch things up. So what about you personally? You have, you know, been a part of amazing company and you continue to grow and spread your message each and every day. What lessons have you learned throughout your journey that we should all apply to our own business or our own lives that can help us grow? Well, I think um, I'll use my business partner, Craig Rawlings, as an example. He embraces technology and he embraces opinions and thoughts. I think we all need to do more of that. You know, I always call it my Emma and Katie uh, thought process. Those are my two daughters, 28 and 26. And yeah, the old man's making money cutting down some trees, but I need to do the right thing by them. That's a big thing, you know, and I guess it goes without question, you know, one, the invitations for you, Bill, but any of your folks, you know, we host this conference. It's April 12th to the 14th, not to be a sales pitch, but it'll open up some eyes. And and in one place, it's in Portland, Oregon. It's very safe. Um, Some people believe in it. Some people don't, but it's, you know, we require vaccinations. We require proof of negative tests. You wear a mask. Um, but we'll have, you know, 35 to 40 different countries there, a couple thousand people in person. You do have an option to just um, go a month later, May 12th, on a virtual. Um, we'll open up that registration as well, and you can hear a little bit. But 
it's a new direction and wood products are becoming pretty cool out there, you know, and people like them. But um, as far as where this thing's going, it's exciting to be a part of it. Um, I see people taking over from here, from Craig and myself and Tom and moving it to the next generation. But I'm really pleased where we were and where we've come and to be a part of it. We're regular people in this building products industry and the construction industry. Construction is the core to the economic prosperity in the United States and around the world. Most people don't realize how big of a part, but it's so many facets to it. Um, and then people deserve dignity, you know, and, and, and affordable construction is a big part of our conference on how to get there. Veterans deserve dignity, just like other people and wood products can really play a big role in that. Awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely going to share a link to the conference as well, too, in these show notes, just so everybody can uh, look into it also. And I'll definitely be looking into that as well. Um, another question, too, is most people ask about your past. Let's talk about your future. Where will we see Arnie in 10, 15 years from now? You know, my wife and I, we've been married 30 years, Debbie and I. The plan is we want to do a fair amount more travel. We've not done a lot of international travel. My daughters have, um, which is great. And we, we encourage that. But um, we've got a lot of invitations around the world to see face-to-face -face how they're managing their forest, how they're building buildings, how they're acting. Um, we're excited about doing that over the next 10, 15 years. You know, health is a big part of that. And how do we stay healthy to make that happen? We've been very blessed. We have a lot of faith. Um, that's the foundation of our lives right there. And uh, we feel very fortunate. But, you know, it's just pre treating people with dignity and respect and then and then having that common bond. But I see Debbie and I doing a lot of uh, saying yes to going to different places. Good, yeah, good for you. Definitely after yeah, working hard too. I need to travel a little bit more as well too. So it's it's definitely on my list of things to do. Um, I always ask. I started asking this question. This one's a newer. Was there something we didn't cover today in today's discussion that you think my listeners should know of? You know, we covered a lot of ground and touched on it. The opinions are, they're just my opinions, but. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing in the construction industry is it's going to change quicker than people probably want it to. Um, and the reality is um, keep your eye on that and, and be flexible. Um, customer demands are getting not going to get less. They're going to get more. Expectations are going to get more. Um, but we've got that technology to make that happen. Um, and it's a combination of things that that make it. Um, but I think it all starts with, you know, with your faith and what kind of person you are and just treat everybody fairly. It, that's what makes sense to me. Amen to that. Yeah. That's what the show is all about too, is just treating everybody fairly and taking, putting the customer obviously first and everybody that has been on this show has had the same opinion as yourself too. So I got to appreciate that. A lot. Uh, last question, what this show is all about. What exactly do people need to look for in the lumber industry and why should they 
join Arnie and the Forest Business Network? Well, there's a couple of things that I would suggest is it's always a learning opportunity. One is, and I know you're going to post some links, but we have a mass timber report. It's called the International Mass Timber Report. Um, we give them to attendees that come, but there's a posting of both uh, the, the latest one is an e-copy and the year old one is a PDF copy. You can go on that. It's mass timberreport.com or something like that. And you can search it. It's a way to get a resource. Come into the conference. We get people from all over the world. You're going to have that opportunity. The speakers are from all different opinions, everything from the forest all the way to really cool finished buildings. So um, as a general rule, I would look at that. You know, you can, you can look under Forest Business Network and that shows you how to connect to the, to the website and, you know, the newsletter and, and find out some more details. And then it's just, you know, make your own personal decision and, uh, and look it out and, and see what there, but, you know, come up and say hello in person. And um, we like to meet people in person. We'll have masks, which maybe is a help for me, but um, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're really excited. The activity is very robust. Awesome. Yeah, Arnie, this has been great. And I, I'm so happy we connected. And I was I'm so happy to have you on today, too. I hope to meet you in person and, you know, continue the relationship too and the connection here because uh, you're doing some big things, obviously, and what you're doing matters. So I want you to know that for sure. It's it's huge. It's a huge part of my business as well. So thank you for all you're doing. Um, last thing too, is where can people find and connect with you? You've kind of you know, one of the easiest bit. ways, and I never thought I'd say this, but <laughs> I spend a tremendous amount of time on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Arnie Didier. My business partners are on there. We have some, we share a lot of information on there. LinkedIn is a great way. And then my, you know, whether it's an email or a phone number, that's how we connected. Um, people may think, oh, LinkedIn, this is that or whatever, but it's been a very good tool for us. And it's an, you can be pretty unbiased or you can be mean if you want to be, but it's not a Facebook and other things, you know, but we participate in all that other stuff, but really LinkedIn is a great way and just pull me up and, and I'll look for you and I'll accept you. And then we can have a chat. And if you want to call and talk, I'm glad to do that. But we post a lot of information on our Craig Rawlings, my business partner as well. Awesome. Arnie, I really appreciate your time today and you taking the time to come on. Yep. Thank you. And have a, have a great day. Yeah. Thank you. And for all you that listen, you all know the routine, please share this, like it, five star it, five star reviews only. That's all we allow. And write a quick comment on iTunes as well. Take you one minute. Thanks all for listening. And I will see you guys on the next one.